The Isle of Man General Election 2021 coverage on Manx Radio. Good evening. We're in Garth tonight, and Garth occupies the northeastern part of the Isle of Man. It's made up of the local authority areas of Laxey, Lonnan, and Mackled, and includes the majority of Onken Parish and part of House Drake from the old Onken constituency. Now, notably, Garth was represented by Sir Charles Carouche from 1946 until 1990 when he became the first president of Tinwald. Sir Charles was Speaker of the House of Keys from 1962 to 1990, a record term for anyone holding the office in any country in the British Commonwealth. So our candidates have very big shoes to fill. The MHKs before the House of Keys was dissolved on the 12th of August were Daphne Kane and Martin Perkins. Tonight, your candidates are Daphne Kane, Martin Perkins, Andrew Smith, Jamie Smith, and Gareth Young. First of all, Gareth Young, why do you want to be MHK for Garth? So, thanks, Andy. I, um, the reason I want to stand for MHK is very, very simple. I want to help people on as wide a scale as possible. I'm lucky enough that I do it every day at school at the moment, but I want to help more people, and this is the way to do it. Jamie Smith. Um, I think I can bring balance to... Uh, from my private sector experience, but also four years as a GAF commissioner. So I'd like to bring that balance to uh, see smaller, smarter government with more emphasis on frontline workers. Andrew Smith. I've always been passionate about the people of GAF. I served them through Laxey Commissioners. I've uh, served the Island Man through Treasury. And I think I've got a wide experience to bring to help the island through these next few years. Martin Perkins. Having been in government for the last five years, I know the bits of government that work and the bits of government that don't work. And I believe there's a lot of unfinished business that I need to attend to in the next five years to benefit the people of Garth. Daphne Kane. It has been a huge honour to represent the people of Garth for the last five years, but I think there is so much more to do. I have lobbied on behalf of constituents. I have challenged government. I've brought legislation. I've amended legislation. I think I've the skill set now and my track record will show to do even more in the future. Much to talk about in the next hour, uh, live here at the shore in Laxey, by the way. Yeah. So, um, let's start off, first of all, pump or dump sewage in Laxey Bay. Daphne Kane. Uh, the answer is it must be pumped away to join the Irish scheme. That was what Laxey was promised. Why should Laxey be second-class citizens compared with Port Erin, Port St Mary? The Aboriginal proposal to put an industrial unit in the middle of a heritage harbour, a conservation area, with a daily pump um, wagon travelling across the Isle of Man with the solids and a new bridge when we've got all the issues of the flooding in the past. It just isn't workable. The best option and the best possible solution that Laxey deserves and that would benefit the whole island who, who love to come to Laxey will be the pump away option and it hopefully combined with doing a seawall across the promenade as well. Andrew Smith. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> got to be, um, I agree totally, it's got to be pump rather than dump. Uh, the only issue that I have is that the time scale for that to be actually installed leaves us with this continual sewage flow 24-7. So I think we've got to look at it as a two, at least a two-pronged attack, sort out the issues in the interim with a long-term solution of definitely pump to Port Jack. Jamie Smith. Um, I was the chairman of the GAF commissioners when the uh, Manx Utilities plan application first came before us and there were several commissioners who were on the fence and two of them were in favour of passing it. I convinced them that we hadn't had enough information from Manx Utilities about alternatives so yes, I'm 100% for pumping the dump, 
pumping, not dumping. And I think the way to convince Treasury is by looking at the whole of life costings over 80 to 100 years. And do you think it's purely a matter of cost? Do you think it's merely, purely uh, cost that it hasn't been done? I think, yes, because um, Tim Ward told Manchester Solicitors that thou shalt do the regional system, so Manchester Solicitors had no choice but to put forward the best solution within that constraint. Gareth Young. So I'm in agreement with the other candidates so far, which is definitely pump, not dump. We need to have clean bathing waters and we need to ha make sure that Laxey becomes that tourist destination for people and they're not going to come if we're dis discharging raw sewage into the bay. So we've got to pump it away and not dump. Martin Perkins. I absolutely agree with the comments made by the other candidates, but I have a slightly different opinion that if we can possibly pump it all the way to Miri Veg uh, and get Timwood approval, don't forget, because they have ruled that we should dispose of it uh, 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 on a rural basis and not pump through to Miri Veg. Uh, the fact that um, the treatment has, is not going to go ahead in the harbour now we actually have shot ourselves in the foot because we're going to have to find some way of getting that pumped through to Onken and connected through to Mary Vague. Or we have to come up with some treatment place in between where we can actually treat it. But the best phylaxy say that they don't want any effluent whatsoever going into the bay, even if it's treated to modern standards. Now, at this day and age, the treatment uh, the facilities that are there guarantee that a very few uh, carcinogenics and uh, other uh, bacteria phages and that going into the water. So we have to be pragmatic. Pumping all the way to the airport is not green at all, even though we may use uh, green energy. It's going to take some time to get it organised. We've got to connect through Onken, so we need to keep our options open and, and give the Manx utilities a good push to try and get something sorted out sooner rather than later. OK, let's go to the green agenda and the government is committed to uh, zero carbon by, what, 2030? Uh, Gareth Young, offshore and onshore wind, what's your opinion? Uh, my preference is for offshore wind. If you look at the kind of efficiencies of both options, the offshore wind farms are much more efficient than onshore wind farms, and they also have less impact for your local environment because you can move them offshore and then they can generate somewhere in the region of about... 20% uh, more efficiently. How serious would you be about a green agenda were you to become an MHK? Well, one of the things that really frustrates me is seeing the can kick down the road, should we say. So when the, the vote was to keep the net zero targets as 2050 instead of moving them forward to 2035, I was exceptionally disappointed. And I think we have to move that forward and we should fully commit to a green agenda because it will then increase our economy and allow us to then have a greener, more sustainable island. Andrew Smith. I fully support wind power, but I'd also like us to consider tidal and um, wave power because I think we have many bays on the Isle of Man and rivers that could easily uh, utilise that uh, type of power. Um, regarding green issues, obviously I was the first one and I think the only one to uh, introduce biodiesel to the Isle of Man back in 2006. And the only reason that that's not been successful in recent years is not that the diesel engines cannot run on biodiesel, but the diesel engine management systems tell it that it can't run on, on, on biodiesel. So sadly, despite all our efforts, and we were collecting between three and a half and four thousand litres of cooking oil out of the waste stream every week. Uh, to convert into biodiesel and that was obviously satisfying the government's reclaim, re recycle, reuse policy. We're unable to do that now because of the engine management system. Why do you think the Manx government hasn't committed to E10 petrol? 
Uh, I think there's a, a difficulty there because it's the way it has to be transported. They haven't got the pumping systems in the forecourts, I understand, and uh, I think the, it, it's a big infrastructural disposition for them to... They may look at it down the line, but I think initially we have to be realistic and uh, they can't do it now. Jamie Smith. Um, whilst I'll be willing to have onshore uh, wind, offshore I think is probably too expensive and unnecessary because we don't actually need that much. Similar to Andrew, I'm suggesting that we keep a watching brief on the tidal and wave, but particularly the tidal uh, technologies that are coming in. Up in the Orkneys is something that's just gone in and looks successful. Meantime, we can do some short-term uh, solar panel on public buildings, encouraging bus travel, uh, free for under 22s. And so there's some short-term things we can do on the green agenda whilst we keep a watching brief. And I suspect we won't go wind power. I suspect we'll go tidal. Martin Perkins. Uh, I believe that we should have onshore wind power. Uh, we've got Windy Corner. Let's put a couple of big turbines up there and make the use of it. Uh, I've actually visited Orkney and I've seen how they use the wind power uh, at night when the public aren't using power and they use the excess power to electrolyze water to produce hydrogen. And they have hydrogen vehicles that are being used and of course they produce just water at the end of the day. Uh, the filling stations are very much like a petrol station, so you're not having to leave your car on charge for many, many hours. Uh, and you've got a range of three or 400 miles from one charge. And the green cars that we have at the moment, the electricity isn't that green because it's actually coming from fossil fuels. So uh, we really need to move that on and go more uh, f uh, uh, wind power than we possibly can. Daphne Kane. Uh, we're in the middle of a climate emergency and the rate of, of global warming is accelerating. So, yes, we must do something and we are so far behind everybody else. It is extremely frustrating that this government, this administration has had consultation after consultation and not committed to um, all the infrastructure that we need to benefit future generations to not only enhance our, our international reputation by doing our bit for the environment, but actually bringing down bills and making it a cleaner, better island for us and for future generations. And do you think the, uh, I mean, the government's pushing an open door. Most people understand what the problem is. Most people understand the technologies around things like solar panels, ground source heat pumps and what have you. Uh, why do you think government seems reluctant to push something tangible through? I have no idea. I think the Environment Department, the Minister, have completely failed their brief on this. The fact that we're still building dozens of houses, hundreds of houses, with oil and gas boilers, mainly gas at the minute, when we know they're going to have to be retrofitted. Why are we not having sustainable housing for the future? Yes, we need better transport. If you've got solar panels, you can power your car, your electric car sustainably. And also, why are government buildings not leading the way by them go going green and putting solar panels and other things in? OK, Daphne Kane, should the Isle of Man accept Afghan refugees? I think the Isle of Man should investigate whether that's a possibility. We are talking, with all the issues we've got on the Isle of Man, we're talking about people who have been or are under threat of being killed. If I was in Afghanistan as a, a female politician, I would be shot or at risk of disappearing. And the other point about it is these, I've read about girls finishing their university degree, they're having to burn their jeans, their brother's going out to buy them a burqa. They have no future in public life, any career prospects. And if they speak up about it, a protest, and hats off to the women who were protesting in the, the, during this week. They risk death not only to themselves but to their families. And absolutely, if the Isle of Man could accommodate them, if we could investigate if that is a feasible prospect for the island, then yes, I would, I would welcome Afghan... Andrew Smith. 
The difficulty is, uh, obviously, I'm in the front line with working with Salvation Army, GRI, uh, the Food Bank, and Housing Matters. And we have got numerous people uh, in our island that are desperately requiring accommodation, requiring a stable life. Um, just because uh, you may remember Ted Ball and his whiskey bottle that used to be under the Villa Marina arcades. And just because that gentleman, and uh, sadly, he's passed away, uh, and just because there are no other people in high profile, everybody thinks that the matter's gone away from the Isle of Man. But the reality is, reality is that we are struggling on a daily basis to find enough bed nights for our own people. So we should look after our own first? I quite agree. We should look after our own first. Jamie Smith. Uh, we're a wealthy nation and uh, a lot of us have uh, benefited from that over the years and we can't cherry pick these things. If we want a, a seat at the top table of, of na nations then we have to do our bit and we can't cherry pick. So a small number, and I'm talking about only perhaps five or ten families, yes we need to make sure that we've got um, sufficient uh, translators and uh, the support for them and yes there are problems we have in, with our own people and that doesn't mean that they're going to be any further down the queue we need to look after everyone and we need to accept a few refugees. You think for our own international reputation? I think it's exactly what we should be doing from a humanitarian okay. point of view, yes. Okay, Martin Perkins. If you ask on the street, uh, people just do not want to have Afghan refugees. I think they feel that uh, the waiting list for medical treatment and for housing that Andrew has uh, identified uh, would prohibit them. Uh, on the other hand, we need to do our bit for our international status. I agree with Jamie. Um, and the problem is, do we allow five families to win the lottery when the rest of them are still stuck where they are? And I believe that we need to um, keep our international fund for international aid going because that gives injections to people and helps a vast load of people more than we could ever have five here. But yes, I think if we could manage five, five families, that would be the way to go. Gareth Young. I'm... We are, per capita, like one of the richest countries in the world. And the fact that we have homelessness and people who rely on a food bank and things like that is pretty shameful in reality when you've got 20% of the population living below the poverty line. However, that is not an issue that should actually dictate whether or not we have refugees come to the Isle of Man. The Western world has been had its hand in the cookie jar of countries for decades and decades. 20 years in Afghan. Uh, occupation is what the West has had. There are hundreds of thousands of people that have helped Western troops with translations, fought alongside them, died alongside them, and then when we pull out without any real warning and without any real structure behind it, and then we turn around to them and say, sorry, you're not good enough to come here, that's just not acceptable. Uh, should mind. the Isle of Man give 0.7% of GDP as international aid as recommended by the UN? Yes. Okay, Jamie Smith, should the Isle of Man give 0.7% of GDP to international aid, do you think? I was trying to do the maths, but yes, I think so. Okay, Andrew Smith? Yeah, I agree with that. Martin Perkins? Agree with that. And Daphne Kane? I agree with that, but I think it would have to be step by step. I don't think we can jump right up there. It would be a really good target to have, though. Okay, I want to go with, uh, to, to uh, Gareth Young now, who works with young people as a teacher. Yeah. Uh, how do you get young people engaged in politics? We have 16-year-olds and statistically they're the least likely to vote. How do you make a 16-year-old vote? You have to hook them somehow. You have to make them realise the fact that the people that are sitting here are helping to determine their future. You have to give them a reason that they actually want to get out involved and actually interested in what's going on. So you make it personal to them, you talk to them about it, you go into the schools, you engage with them, 
Last time I saw a politician in school, I can't remember. Okay. In your curriculum, is there anything about Manx politics or history? Uh, history, definitely. Very little in terms of politics. I'm a science specialist, so I don't really deal with it. We do couch some of our science lessons in terms of what you would see on the right, Isle of Man, but not in terms of history and politics. From Martin Perkins, how do you get 16, 17, 18-year-olds interested in politics enough to walk through... Uh, the door to the ballot box. I, I don't think we should hook them in and drag them in screaming because that will put them off straight away. That's uh, not what a hook yeah. is. <laughs> a hook is a reason to actually do it. And I, I took you literally, uh, uh, Gareth. Okay, yeah. Go on. Sorry, you were talking. Oh, sorry, yeah, okay. Um, it's, uh, we have to get them interested. I can't remember um, the last group of children that came round uh, Timwald this year. I think it's been a bit difficult with COVID and what have you, but we used to have a lot of 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds coming round, showing them the uh, chambers, and they actually had a junior Timwald with the debating society in, and I think with COVID, again, that hasn't happened. But that used to generate a lot of interest. Uh, um, the Daphne Kane, how do you get, how do you get young teenagers politicised enough to vote? I've been talking to young people on the doorstep, some of them not yet young, old enough to vote right. in this election. They are very engaged. When it's relevant to people in terms of how much student debt or the fact of a student debt is determined by the politicians that you put making those policies, when the amount of preschool um, cost is determined by policies, the, the whole um, family income and family outcomes depends on the decisions that politicians are taking. I found some particularly this, this last term, the Extinction Rebellion, the, um, the amount of knowledge and awareness among young people, because it's their future that we are influencing at the moment, I find them very engaged. But I think the actual structure of Parliament and how they go to vote, that hasn't perhaps been covered. The sort of cultural and history of the Isle of Man could, I think, be much more in schools. I've had several times, not in the COVID years, but previously, several sessions in schools talking to young students and particularly about the Syrian refugee issue and when students brought a petition. I think a lot of students are very engaged in world affairs and Al-Aman affairs, but it's the mechanism of how they actually go out and vote. Jamie Smith. Um, <clears throat> there are a lot of uh, kids who are politicians. They're sitting on school councils from, uh, from reception years onwards. They just don't realise it's the same sort of politics as they step up. There's a gap between being a, a, um, a school council person and then... Uh, commissioners and politicians and if we can close that gap by perhaps having extending the youth parliament to have more localised youth parliaments almost like a youth commissions and that would be brilliant because as Daphne said it's their future that we're basically fighting for here and I've had the pleasure of working with the island's youngest uh, commissioner young Liam was only 18 when he was going on he's absolutely brilliant and his knowledge of things like planning was at least as good as anybody else's I've met. Andrew Smith. Yeah, I think that we should encourage MHKs from time to time to actually visit schools and explain about politics and the issues that are facing them. But in addition, uh, I'm very fortunate on my campaign that I've got a youngster who is studying politics across and I've got him on my shoulder at the doorstep. So he can, he can hear the, the, what the public are asking and he can hear my response and if he wishes, he can interact on that. So I think that is a, a practical way of helping youngsters get All engaged. this has to be paid for. So how do we refloat the economy? How do we recover? And how do we raise the money to pay for everything that the candidates are talking about? Jamie Smith. So we need to, to lead first from, from government. So there needs to be a bit, bit of emphasis. I need to want to see... Uh, 
government departments putting business cases for their following year budget rather than just assuming they're going to get the same budget and this thing about using up your budget which we've heard around the island other places that you use it up in order to get it the next year it should be the opposite it should be you have to put a business case so we start from government and then the word is confidence businesses come jobs come if there's a economic confidence and there's confidence that government will back them up so when business people come here hoping to set up a business we need to exceed their expectations and that is the sort of environment the atmosphere that will encourage them do you think that's not been happening i think it hasn't been happening enough and i think they see the government is being in some ways being a frustration rather than assistance daphne kane I think the Isle of Man has bounced back pretty well, actually, from COVID. We have £1.8 billion of reserves, which is higher than it was five years ago. Alf Cannon, as Treasury Minister, has gone out for a £400 million debt issue. There's a lot of interest in it. It's absolutely the right thing to do to refinance debt, hold on to our reserves and fund the future. The, as within my role of, of Department for Enterprise, I have seen firsthand the efforts that are going on, both supporting the businesses that we have on the island and expanding the sector. And within the digital sector, the 100 jobs, new jobs, have been delivered this year so far, with 100 more projected before the end of the year and a pipeline of 800. So there are plenty of efforts, especially through the locate.im portal, where we've had 400 education professionals put in for their register their interest for jobs on the Isle of Man. There is a huge amount of interest going on. I'm not saying it's perfect. The main thing I think we need to do is stop the waste, streamline government okay. and stop the waste of the millions on the capital projects that are going way over budget. Martin Perkins. I think one of the things we have to do is to get the economy back on its feet. It, it has recovered to a certain extent, but we do have to have plan B because going forward it's going to be a very different scenario that we've had over the last few years with Brexit and with Covid, the different threats coming from there. We have to get the politicians out and about, shaking hands and uh, telling people where the Isle of Man is, playing the Isle of Man up, not consistently moaning about the shortfalls of the Isle of Man that we hear all the time on the Manning Line and various other places. Talk the island up because we have got a good story to tell. Concentrate on bringing new business to the island. You do that by uh, showing the bosses our quality of life and how they can uh, grow their business if they come to the Isle of Man and what a good place for business the Isle of Man is. And also not forgetting food and drink, which is coming up next weekend. Uh, we've got a fantastic story to tell about food and drink, which was underlined during COVID when people bought a lot of local stuff. Andrew Smith. Definitely agree with the uh, previous comments that we've got to uh, boost the economy. And uh, yes, by funding it by a loan is, is, is part of the way. But also, uh, I think that, and I think uh, the previous or the current uh, Home Affairs Minister, Crugeen, has also al already intimated that they may be looking at a 10% corporate uh, tax rate, uh, obviously with 0-10 at the moment, but many, many multinational corporates need and want to pay tax. Uh, consequently, they would be, it would be an incentive for them to come to the Isle of Man and pay 10%, uh, which would bring their mind and management here, uh, which would obviously their investment would be here. They would be employing a, a small number of people here, which would also put ITFP into the system. Gareth Young. So, what, what the other candidates said is absolutely spot on in terms of boosting the economy and creating jobs and naturally bringing wealth to the island. But also on top of that, I think the Isle of Man as a government needs to generate some wealth for the people. And if we divest into green energy in kind of four different phases where you're establishing renewables so that we overproduce electricity, which we can then sell in order to generate further wealth, I think that kind of a business model as well going forward over the years would be viable for us. 
as well. OK. Um, I want to come to education now and the quality of Manx education. Uh, Daphne Kane, do you think our children... Let's put aside the people that are going to university. The ones who don't go to university, Chamber of Commerce reported they were disappointed. They, were, they had difficulty in placing um, a lot of the children who came out of schools. There is a need to match the skills that young people are leaving school with or college to the jobs that are available in the workplace. And there are a lot of jobs and there are a lot of interesting, challenging, um, entertaining jobs that we want young people to be retaining, staying on the Isle of Man and also attracting others to the Isle of Man. So there's a huge amount of work going into um, making available courses, not only for young people, but actually lifelong learning and people reskilling in their later years, like 50s or older, to, to be fit for, for to, to enable them to take up the really exciting jobs there are out there. Gareth Young. So currently in education, we have quite a substantial amount of work going into skills-based curriculum development. And what we're trying to do is teach students skills that we, they can then apply in the workplace. The thing is, we also have to then teach them those skills that they can apply to an exam. Because all of their kind of grades and everything are yeah. determined by how well they can pass a written paper at the end of year 11 or at the end of year 10 that determines almost how good they actually are. And, and we know some, that's wrong. Do you think sometimes there are, pe there are, there are students who will be very, very good vocationally or with apprenticeships who get railroaded into exams they don't really want to take? Without a doubt. Like, we have a very rigid system at the moment. We rely on exam boards in the UK, and from that, we, are like, we dictate what they're able to do. Okay. And if they allow those skills to be developed and apprenticeships and things like that, they'd be much better off. Andrew Smith. Yeah, definitely agree that we should give them more life skills at school because obviously not everyone, all children don't learn at the same speed uh, and uh, we've got to cater for everybody. And just as, as you mentioned there, we need to give them more vocational skills so they come out with a craft and they can actually, I mean, you get children coming out of school now, can't even change a light bulb or wire a plug. And I mean, that is basic for, because they're going to start, a, some people start a family very soon after leaving school. Mm. So they need basic, just basic life skills as well as all the education that they already get. Martin Perkins. I think uh, going back to the days of engineering apprenticeships, uh, which, is, which was one of my fortes. Well, you were in uh, aer aviation, aerospace, yep. aerospace um, engineering. And I think the way you get youngsters like that interested, you get them in work experience and get the right careers advice at school. I think uh, we must have to target the youngsters for what they're able to do and what actually switches them on um, and make sure the employers give them work experience and that way the student finds out whether the employer uh, is what they want and also the other way around. Are we training enough engineers on the Isle of Man? At the moment I think the engineering uh, has had a bit of a hard time because nobody's building aircraft. Now we have to diversify that as part of our economy and look elsewhere. Um, and I've got a feeling that it's going to be a long time before you ever get Airbus to recover the numbers that they've had before. But they can build other things. We should be looking at uh, cancer equipment, medical equipment, all that type of stuff. Jamie Smith. Um, as a father of two teenagers, I well know that when you get to 16, some kids are just weary of school. They've done 12 years, university isn't for them, and they just want to leave school, get a job, and there should be apprenticeships and internships and there should be training for them in the, in the, when they are 15 and 16 for perhaps running a small business, doing the basic books, doing, knowing what they have to do as far as health and safety and things like that. So we need to prepare that, those kids who won't go to university for doing that. And I do think that it's, um, 
as Martin said, there is things like the, the, the green energy, there can be some economic improvements, for example, um, building solar panels and air source heat pumps would be ideal for the island, and that's the way I'd like to see it. Okay, go. I'm going to go very quickly around the candidates now before we open the floor to the audience uh, here at the uh, shore in Laxey, and I'm going to ask two questions about recreational and medicinal cannabis. Are you for or against medicinal and recreational cannabis? Andrew Smith. For medicinal against recreational. Jamie Smith. For medicinal and probably for recreational, although it does need to be looked into carefully. Um, I certainly don't want to see uh, young kids getting a criminal record for possession of two grams. Gareth Young. Like, like James just said, definitely for medicinal use and decriminalisation of ca cannabis and then a consultation to see whether or not recreational should be legalised or not. Can you see at any point in the future recreational cannabis being completely legal on the Isle of Man? I think if we have the right consultation and the right evidence that shows us that it is the will of the people and the benefits outweigh any side effects... Daphne Kane. I'm for medicinal cannabis. I think that we now have the ability to have prescriptions. In terms of recreational cannabis, I think I would like to see an immediate stop for any people um, being prosecuted for low-level possession. And I think that if you read the Chief Constable's annual reports over the past five years, constantly there is a theme, a million pounds of drugs a month is traded on the Isle of Man, and it is through inter, um, international criminal gangs. And that is putting pressure on families and 28 juveniles, up from one 10 years ago, 28 juveniles were prosecuted for um, br uh, t taking drugs, delivering yeah. drugs. So yes, absolutely, it needs a rethink, it needs a public consultation, it would need careful control. But if so many other countries and states are managing to legalise cannabis, why wouldn't the Isle of Man... Martin Perkins. Uh, very much for medical cannabis. Very disappointed that only two doctors on the Isle of Man actually prescribe it. I think there's a wealth of opportunity there to relieve people's suffering. Uh, recreational cannabis, I think it should be legalised with certain conditions and we should actually supply it uh, with production of our uh, medical cannabis, but supply it in a manner in which we know the strength. It is limited to its dis dis uh, to sale to people. The government should tax it and it should be limited to consumption in people's houses and nowhere else. The rest of the world is jumping on this uh, opportunity and I feel we should do the same after consultation with everybody. Max Radio tonight is live in the constituency of Garth. Uh, we're talking to the candidates, Daphne Kane, Martin Perkins, Andrew Smith, Jamie Smith and Gareth Young. Uh, there are what they used to call requisition meetings, they're now called pre-election meetings, and the next one is on Tuesday the 14th of uh, month, next Tuesday at Oncombe Primary School from 7 till 9. So we're now going to go to the audience at the shore in Laxey. Your name, sir, uh, your name and your question. Yep, Keith Watterson. And my question is to the candidates, what is your view on progressing an all-island rating system as presently there are local authorities who are very affluent, such as Maloo and Braddon, for example, because of the commercial properties in their area, like the airport and the hospital? Jamie Smith. Um, <clears throat> all-island for commercial rate, absolutely. All-island for domestic, no, because I think there's very good reasons why it is regional, but I do think that the 21 local authorities desperately need to work together and cooperate because otherwise we will, they will go up and we'll end up with a north, south, east and west plus Douglas. Martin Perkins. 
commercial rate, absolutely, all Ireland. Uh, but domestic rate, some people only have one tele, uh, te, uh, lamppost in the whole of the street. Uh, and I think we have to look island-wide about how we equalise it to actually get a fair deal for the people. Some people get more things than others. Uh, some people have access to Ramsey Swimming Pool, for example. I know a lot of golf people use that. Um, so there is a work to be done, uh, not just on the size of houses, which also should be included uh, as part of the revamp of the rates, but also the um, public facilities that are supplied. Andrew Smith. Uh, definitely in favour of um, all island commercial rates, and I would also favour equalisation of local government rates. Daphne King. I think this is an issue that um, so many governments have failed to tackle, and it is well overdue because the number of local authorities and the way they're structured is costing people more money to deliver services, even waste collection, than it would do if it was done in a more joined up way. But I, I do support the fact that everyone should pay equal water rates because the water is the cost of delivering clean drinking water to each home. But in terms of the other rate, I think when we have efficient local authorities who deliver services to their community, then why should we be merged with a more expensive administration of another one? We need to get down to what services we want, how many local authorities to deliver and go from there. Gareth Young. I'd, so I'd be definitely in favour of an all-island commercial rate because I think that that would work well. And like Daphne's just said, I think we need to make sure that the way that properties and rateable values are done needs to be completely rethought and changed. Okay, next question. Your name and your question, please. Aaron Craigie. Good evening. Um, this week we've seen a very hurried introduction in the UK of a new social care system. Um, what are the candidates' opinions on if there's a need to raise more income for government, would they support raising it on national insurance, i.e. just on workers and not on... Uh, people who are deriving their income from other sources and secondly uh, the cap on so lifetime social care costs that's been introduced in the UK would you extend it to here and Martin Perkins I think that uh, the cap on social uh, costs is a, is a good one it's unfair to get people to sell houses to uh, for their elderly care uh, and I do think that it is rather a high tax on uh, workers a bit unfair because they're the guys that are actually getting their sleeves rolled up um, and uh, in uh, producing the wealth that we have. Uh, the one thing I do feel about national insurance is, in particular in the Isle of Man, we have a lot of wealthy people that actually employ carers. Now, they actually pay national insurance on those carers' uh, wages because they are employers. And I don't think that's fair. It's almost like a double taxation. I tackled Alf Cannon in the last uh, administration about this, and unfortunately we couldn't get away forward. But I think that that is one particular issue that needs addressing. Gareth Young. So I think the increase in the burden on just workers is not right. I think we need to actually think about that going forward properly because we have got significant amounts of waste within government where if we're wasting continuously then we need to actually streamline that first before we then start asking for more money from the public so initially the way the social care reforms are going in the UK the cap the cap is definitely a good thing but it doesn't include things like rent food heating electricity anything like that so that 86,000 pounds that's being banded about that is only for the care side of things you can still be charged £4,000 a month rent, uncapped. So at that point there, a cap is great, but it's got to be actually thought through and not surreptitiously brought about to just tax one side of things. Jamie Smith. Uh, most of us will have seen a presentation which shows that Garth's demographics is one of the oldest on the island. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's a really hot topic on the doorstep. People are really worried about losing their savings through having to do 24-hour care 
So we need to bring these in. I wouldn't put it on national insurance or income tax, although it might have to be partially on national insurance. But the key thing is it needs to be ring-fenced so that the people paying it from both national insurance and from their wealth understand that it's going purely for health and social care. How would you raise it then if not on national insurance? I'm not sure. You, I think you would have an element of it on national insurance because I think that is probably fair for the working people but you also need some mechanism to take it from the people who have a lot of wealth and less income. Daphne Kane. I think the Isle of Man is already 1% below on national insurance than the UK and this would put us 2.25% below and yes I would support looking at an increase to national insurance to fund social care on the basis of it being capped. But it needs to be a Manx solution for the Manx problem. I think that there's also, with the government having KPMG commissioned to do a major tax and economic strategy review for the island, that potentially corporation tax, potentially income tax, nothing is off the table in terms of what is the best tax and economic model for the Isle of Man for the future. So I think, I think that we have to look at all these things for the benefit of the community and to establish fairness and get rid of those inequalities that we see in society that cause so much um, disruption. OK, Andrew Smith. Definitely, because obviously of the Isle of Man, we know we've got autonomy and that's when we should use autonomy. And we to raise national insurance. To, if we need to raise national insurance or if we need to raise taxes, that is our will, but we need to do it in, in a holistic way to ensure it's for the benefit of the Manx people. Uh, next question, please. Your name and question. Mark Buttery, regarding sewerage. Thanks. <laughs> a specialist on sewerage. We've swam in it, we've eaten it, especially in Peel, and I've been ill through it, so here's the question. So if the MUA used the so-called local sewerage plants, the IRBCs, which were destined for Laxey, and luckily the planning overturned it, so... The effluent from these IRBCs is still discharged into the bay of Laxey, Garwick. Um, these plants, although they screen the plastics... Is there a the question coming, please? Yes, there is. Hang on there. Can you speak up? I can't hear, I'm afraid. So, uh, they cannot screen the urine, blood, spit, diarrhoea, anything else that goes down your sink, bleach. So... What we're saying is, would the MHKs agree my grandson should not have to paddle in someone else's waste product? OK, thank you. We've had enough time for the question. They're not MHKs, by the way. Nobody's an MHK. Andrew Smith. <laughs> well, I've already, I've already declared my position is that I want, to put, I want to pump it to Port Jack, connect it to the pipe, so there's nothing actually in Laxey, absolutely nothing, zero, zilch. What else, what other words do you want me to say in Laxey Bay? OK, and uh, how do you think the two MHKs for Garth could progress that, could make their voices heard? Well, you canvass the people. If you get the people behind you, then the people through the MHK makes the policy. So get the, I'm, I'm a great believer in people power. People power led by a strong leader. Jamie Smith. <coughs> My concern with the treated solution is that it meets the 2006 EU rules but they are, by definition, 15 years old. And probably if we haven't had a pandemic in the EU, we may well have had updated water standard rules coming from the EU already. And we are close enough. Those rules go out 100 or 200 miles. So Ireland has a say in the Manx waters. So that's why we need to pump. And if you're going to follow up with a question about how the two GARF MHKs do that, it's a question of going with Treasury and explaining that over 80 and 90 years, it does make economic sense to pump not to have these wagons and the drivers daily. Martin Perkins. 
uh, you will have the wagons and drivers if you pump. You still have to take the solids out of the uh, sewage to, to actually pump it. It's not going to go, um, the big IRCBs are not going to go with the harbour. We know that. That's been established by the planning. However, you can... IRCB. IRBCs. Yeah, well, like, whatever it is. Yes. Rotating MGBGT. biological... Yeah, the uh, rotating biological treatments. Uh, we're not going to have that by the harbour, but you're still going to have to have pumping, you're still going to have to have screening, and you're still going to have to have ultraviolet treatment in flood conditions where it overflows. Now, these IRCBs can produce very clean water and they are worldwide in their usage. Now, they comply completely with the 2006 requirements and yes, as technology goes on, in your 80 years, it's gonna change. And 80 years ago, we are still horse and cart. As technology moves on, they will produce clean water even better than the stuff that is being produced now. Okay, Daphne Kane. Yes, I completely support going to the pump away option joining Iris. Um, it's true that we would still need to uh, get wagon loads of solids, but we, we reduce it to once a week instead of six or seven times a week. And in terms of the um, renewable energy that would potentially come online, it has to be if we think of ourselves and we celebrate the biosphere and looking for a sustainable future in the best way possible to deal with the waste, then it has to be that the pump away option would benefit Laxey Bay, Garwick Bay, and all the people of the island and visitors who, who like to enjoy that tourist amenity. When would you like to see Laxey stop swimming in sewage? Tomorrow. Gareth Young. So pumping away is longevity-wise the best option by a country mile. It's cheaper in the long run because if we're looking at a high-density polythene pipe, they last for 100 years in the ground. In, in comparison, the IRBCs, they would require replacing every 15 to 25 years at a cost of millions of pounds every single time. So would you pump? So, yes, but the pumps are considerably cheaper than an IRBC at £500,000 per unit. Whereas a pumping unit, you're looking at £12,000 for a pump. OK. Uh, your name and your question, please. Um, it's Alison Harvey. No one has addressed the last administration's waste of our money as taxpayers. The prom is over time, over budget. Liverpool Dock is over time, over budget. The increase in the number of civil servants, the increase in the civil servants' wage bill, pension hole, MHK's pensions. How are you going to stop our money being frittered away? OK. Gareth Young. So if any contract comes through government, it needs to actually be scrutinised properly. So, for example, the Peel landing stage where we had the news reports that the negotiators were just completely outclassed and then instead of costing... The Liverpool very... landing stage? Yes. Yes. So instead of the cost being minimal, it's spiralling upwards to 50, 50 million plus. So I think we need to actually make sure that when we go into these things, these negotiations... Does this come up on the doorstep? Government waste? Yeah, government waste comes up quite a lot because people are very unhappy because it's not really government money, it's the taxpayers' money. It's everybody's money who's paying taxes, it's our money that's going wasted. When capital spends go over, you just have to look at things like Ben Hague School or St Indian's Lower School, £11 million over budget, and it wasn't finished. Daphne Kane. Yes, it does come up on the doorstep a lot, and I'm angry about the waste of money because of the benefits of the community if we had those millions to spend on other policies. And... 
the key thing, the department, the Treasury had a Beeman's management review of the Department of Infrastructure and they, they told them what we already all knew, which is that they lack competency in project management. Treasury promised us in the uh, February budget that we were going to get a capital projects unit, that we, we need that proper c competence in looking at a project and properly, properly managing and costing it from the get-go, and we haven't had that. And the fact that all these things are spiralling out of control is terrible. I mean, it's, it's making the Isle of Man look ridiculous and it loses all credibility in terms of delivering it for the future. Okay. The other aspect of the question about the increase of staff numbers, well, a lot of those have been for medical appointments, for COVID response, for the border force and other things. The, the point being that we need to revisit the single legal entity committee, that's one public service report, streamline okay. government to do, deliver policy and let operational things move outside of government. Government's got to stop okay. doing so much. Andrew Smith. Everything that the questioners mentioned is coming up on the doorsteps. And I say, obviously, it's accountability. And not only accountable, it's governance. But why is it that all the MHKs of the previous administration are all saying they couldn't do anything about it? Whether they were actually in power to, to shape what was happening. How come the promenade's been overspent so much? The Liverpool landing stage is, is still a piece of dirt. Uh, we, we haven't got anything to see for the money. Why is it they're blaming? Who are they trying to blame? This is what I want to know. Jamie Smith. There's a perception that government departments work in silo mentality, empire building, not cooperating. You need to have these senior managers in government are paid equitably with a private sector. They need to have performance management, so scorecards that rate them on better cooperation across departments, uh, better service delivery, reduction in costs. And, and as an example, as Daphne said, the capital projects team is absolutely essential. It should be headcount neutral pulling legal people and project management people from other departments. They should be the team that runs contracts, has late-running penalties. You think a, a, a department head should be accountable in terms of marks against them? Yes, their, 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 their remuneration should be based on... Commensurate with commercial. On, yes, absolutely, because they're getting paid that sort of level, but they, the services, and they should be looking at reducing expense... Is, which doesn't mean redundancies, it probably means natural wastage. Like an overhead containment bonus. Exactly, yes. Martin like Perkins. Uh, I agree that the uh, civil servant head of department should be totally accountable and not just uh, financially, they should be actually uh, measured with KPIs and if they don't come up to scratch they should be sent down the road like any private company. Um, the reason that we've actually had more people employed is as Daphne says, Covid and uh, track and trace was a typical one and various other uh, things and one of the problems is the public wants services but for example the planning. Um, the uh, People that come out to see you have been reduced dramatically because of the um, reduction in head numbers. And then everybody starts moaning. Nobody's come out to look at my plans for 8, 10, 12 weeks. Okay. So okay. Uh, next question. Your name and question, please. Uh, Andrea Bartlett. Uh, my question is from a business perspective. Uh, we're a small island, which means a small talent pool. How do we attract enough external experience to help improve our internal intellectual bandwidth? Jamie Smith. So I think this is one of these things which um, it's not pigeonholed like the media wants to say it's either education or health. It's one of those things where everything's intertwined. You want to have a better, a lovely place to live, which it currently is, slightly better. It's a 1% improvement here, 1% improvement there. The sports coaches say that's how you, how you improve it. They then compound. So you make housing more available. You make health less of waiting lists. People then want to come here. People then want to start jobs here and people want to do those jobs that those companies are starting. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an integrated thing. Gareth Young. So like Jamie said, it is quite integrated with 
making the island a more desirable place to actually come to, but also we need to hold on to our own talent. And it's a case of making our brightest and best want to stay on the Isle of Man. And we need to encourage them to do that. We need to encourage them back from university and improve ourselves as well as attracting new talent pool. Okay, how would you get people back from university? So you could go down a, a simple route of providing them with a free university place on the premise that they would come back and work on the Isle of Man for five years. And penalise them if they didn't? Well, you would just... The current system where they would repay their fees... Would, would kick in. ..would kick in is if, if they did stay in the UK to do that. However, I think that would actually encourage quite a lot of students to uptake on that because when, you sat, when you're saddled with 50,000-plus debt, it's a very, very harsh starting position. To Andrew be. Smith. Yeah, if we, if we look at the, the um, cross-section of industry, and uh, obviously we've got to diversify and we've got to recognise what students are actually going away to train for and, and to, to integrate those two things together so that we've got the, the industries for them to come back because it's no good developing things that the, the, the students are going away to train for and they can't come back. So there is a, it's a dichotomy there that we need to address and obviously that has a holistic approach. Daphne Kane. I think we have to encourage innovation, and that means accepting an element of risk, which governments have been very risk-averse and yet still managed to lose millions in other ways. But I, one of the ideas outlined in my manifesto, not mine, but from feedback, listening to industry, is that if government built a faculty of a university, marine sciences, let's replace the university that we had at the Port Erin Marine Biological Station. There are so many doctors still on the island working who graduated from there or did their masters there. We've got the marine environment. We could have a, a centre of excellence for a Scandinavian university and have lower cost of living here or a university from America or Oxbridge or anywhere. But if they had the faculty and student accommodation, we would have such vibrancy on the Isle of Man and it would be the place to go and then a certain percentage, up to 30% of them, would be able to find employment on the Isle of Man. I think that would rejuvenate the island. Martin Perkins. Yes, it's all about retaining graduates. 50% uh, of graduates don't come back, which is an absolutely horrendous figure. Uh, we do have to pro provide a vibrant economy that, with jobs that they can actually progress when they, when they come out of uh, their qualifications and also develop their uh, personal qualifications going forward. The uh, main problem we have, t tackling the other side of your question, is bringing people in to run Manx things, which is what I think you alluded to to start off with. Uh, it's a very fine line because you want people that have grown up with the whatever it is department they're in, but you also want somebody that much detached to be able to dictate what is going to be happening or, or get people around to understand what's going to be happening. And it's a fine line because we've had this with the post office, we've had it with various other government departments, and it is a very difficult question. It, it all hinges on getting the right personnel in the right place okay. at the right time. Jolly good. This is going to be a quick one. Final question. Your name and question, please. Uh, my name's Francesca De Haven. Um, a lot of time and money seems to be lost by government departments that pull in different directions. Uh, how can we overcome silo mentalities and empire building to encourage more joined up government? Uh, Jamie Smith. Um, I think it's just through uh, convincing them that it is in their interest and that they will get congratulated for doing that rather than building empire building and that is through as i said earlier for a more of a private sector mentality towards pr performance management daphne kane i'm not certain we've got the right structure of government to suit the modern and future community needs so perhaps a review looking at the single legal entity committee report recommendations the one public service we've got to get a streamlined government that is efficient 
for the services we want to provide now. And I think we need to look at government stopping doing so much so that the policy focus is much tighter with everybody working together. Gareth Young. So, like Daphne's just said, I don't think we've got the right structure at the moment to be able to do that effectively. And we need to review it and we need to streamline our services in order to stop that waste. And we need to reward people, like Jamie said, for actually working together effectively for the benefit of everybody. Martin Perkins. During COVID, there was a great cooperation right across departments. I'll give you one example was the fact that we didn't have any hand cleaner and we had to make it on the island. We had to certify it for public use and make sure it was safe and actually got out to the public. And the Office of Fair Trading, believe it or not, coordinated everything right across government from the government um, uh, 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 analyst and the Fenodary gin people. And we did a tremendous job. Now, if we can maintain that, get rid of some of the red tape, focus on what we want to be doing. That is, I believe, how we should do it. And on the doorstep, do you get people saying, you know, why is government sometimes battling against itself? Why does department fight department? Or is it just an existential thing? Does this happen in governments all over the world? And we just happen to be the example of it here. Well, one of the things I said on the Laxey flooding, we need one group of people that are responsible for all the flooding and the, uh, the uh, river walls, the uh, telling people that there is going to be bad weather forecast coming up and it needs to be in one place. And that is actually what they've done. It's now in the DOI, which is very useful. And people get a text. When the weather's bad, we know it's going to happen. And that is one example of how to get it to work. Andrew Smith. I'm just worried that we're continuing now talking about... We've already had restructuring government. We've already talked about silo mentality in, in early Alan Bell's days. So why are we talking about that silo mentality is still there and we need to restructure government? Because restructuring government costs money. And I'm sick to death of hearing everyone talking all this cr rubbish uh, about restructuring and one thing or another. Why do we not just work together because we, we, we are very passionate about the Isle of Man? Everyone put the shoulder to the wheel, let's get the economy on track and forget the differences and between And as Martin Perkins said, in the middle of Covid last year, everybody was on the same side. Yeah, but that's an exceptional... Because, obviously, because of the severity of it. But why... OK, so you want to say then... If you want to say that, refer everything to Covid. So if somebody says, well, what about DOI? promenade, refer it to COVID and see if they'd do the same and they wouldn't. It shouldn't have needed a pandemic to work together. No. Okay. Uh, now comes the time of the evening, ladies and gentlemen. We're here in the constituency of Garth when every, cons every candidate will have one minute for their pitch to you, the voter. First of all, in reverse alphabetical order, Gareth Young. <laughs> that was a bit of a shock. I thought we were going the other way originally. <laughs> um, so why am I the best candidate? When I look at my public service history and my passion for improving things and helping people, I'm at the forefront. I've lived through the problems that the Isle of Man sees on a day-to-day -day basis, and I deal with the problems on a day-to-day -day basis. At work, I would have 200, 220 people that I would be responsible for their pastoral care, their social issues, and health and well-being, and all of those kinds of bits and pieces. And I want to expand that to the rest of the Isle of Man and why I want to be an MHK is because I want to actually improve things for everybody and I believe I can do that because I'm driven and passionate and at the end of the day I have the drive to succeed. Jamie Smith. Um, I'm not a seasoned uh, politician but I am a part-time voluntary uh, commissioner and with private sector experience and I'm trying to bring ideas to the table so I'm looking to back with a housing association. I'd like to see a voice in government which is not just from whole of infrastructure but someone within infrastructure who is 
a, uh, the voice of roads and road users, so like a junior highways minister. I'd like, I think we have some really tough uh, funding decisions on the health side, and I'd like to see this capital projects team that has been touted about, and we don't even know if it's going to be in Treasury or Cabinet Office or Department of Infrastructure. I think it probably should be in Treasury, and I'd like to see that done as soon as possible. Your next candidate is Andrew Smith. I've always demonstrated a passion for Manx politics since I arrived, working in the Commissioners, working in uh, Alamogump Treasury, um, running for the by-election 1995, uh, running for election last time in 2016. And I, hopefully, in everything that's happened in the run-up to this election, people will realise that I am passionate about the GAF and the Alaman is people. Uh, I'm passionate about the well-being, the welfare, and I want to see an island that could be utopia. And it's a case of us working together. I believe that I'm uh, passionate to do that. I believe that I've got the skills, and I believe that you'll see through my, my demeanour that I'm interested and convinced that I can do it. Martin Perkins. Having been in government for the last five years, I've experienced the ups and downs of successful government and where government has failed. I believe that I've done my apprenticeship and put my shoulder to the wheel and helped things move forward, particularly in COVID. Going forward, we're going to have, to some, have some very big challenges with the economy, with the health service and with the education uh, of our young people. It's essential we get it right. It's essential we keep the island uh, together and the government has to bring the population with it, keep them informed and bring back confidence in the electorate. I believe I can do that. And if you think you can uh, align with my thinking, I would appreciate your vote on the election day. Thank you. Daphne Kane. My vision for the Isle of Man is to become a beacon of sustainable living with affordable homes and increased environmental awareness. A place that harnesses a variety of renewable energy generation and becomes a centre of educational excellence, attracting graduates to return and study here. A place with exciting varied job opportunities where entertainment and outdoor activities abound and with fair taxation supporting services for the most vulnerable and removing inequalities from the youngest to the elderly. That was from my manifesto that I think most people have had delivered today. I would say, at heart, I am a mother, a wife, a resident of the Isle of Man. I want to make the Isle of Man a better place for my children and for the future generations. I think I have the tenacity, the challenge, the insight, the knowledge and the skills and a track record that will show I'm not afraid to challenge and I'm ready to step up, represent the people of Garth for the benefit of everybody. OK, we've got a spare minute, so I want to go around each candidate. What would you say to someone who hasn't voted hitherto, how would you urge them to vote Daphne Kane very quickly? I would say, look at what's out there. Your voice is your vote. If you care about the future of this island, then cast your vote for the candidate that you feel really represents you, because that way you get the government you deserve. The democracy is there. People died to give you the vote. We don't have self-appointed MHKs anymore. This is the system. Martin Please Perkins. buy into the system. Go and vote, because if you don't, I don't think you should moan about government. If you, if you select the MHK that you feel would represent you best, go and vote for them. It will depend on your future, whether you vote or not. Andrew Smith. Vote for the person that you believe can bring, deliver what they say. Jamie Smith. Yeah, vote for the person that not just suits your agenda best, but you think suits the, uh, the whole population best. Uh, if you don't vote, you can't complain. And you're very lucky to have five very good candidates here and hopefully you'll make the right choice. OK, and finally, the last word, Gareth Young. 
Um, for me, it's all about having your say. Democracy is all about you being able to go outside and have your own voice. And by electing an MHK and a candidate from us five, you give a voice in Parliament that you voted for. OK, tomorrow night, Manx Radio is going to be live at Peel Golf Club. We'll be talking to the candidate standing in Glen Faber and Peel. On Monday, it's going to be a, a busy one. We're at the Mitre in Ramsey. Uh, next Wednesday, we'll be at Douglas Rugby Club for the um, middle constituency. We'll be at Ocean Views in Onken on the Thursday. We'll be in Russian in Port Aaron on uh, the Monday uh, after that. And the Tuesday, the day before the day before the election, the 21st, we'll be at Seven Kingdoms in Douglas for Douglas. Douglas Central. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight you've been listening to the candidates for GAF. You've heard Daphne Kane, Martin Perkins, Andrew Smith, Jamie Smith and Gareth Young. All I'd say to you is, please, in two weeks' time, at about this time, please don't say, I wish I'd voted. <laughs> because you need to make uh, your mark well before then. And remember, you do have two votes. So think very carefully and please vote in two weeks' time. Thanks to our team here at uh, uh, the shore in Laxey, and thanks to Andrea for all the help, and our two guests, uh, Leslie uh, Simon and Leslie from Northampton. Thank you as well. <laughs>